for more reasons than what we would have time to talk about. This, would you agree, this night every year kind of has to be the most waited for, most anticipated for secular, religious, for tons of different reasons. This night tends to be the most anticipated night of the entire year. For kids, it tends to be that night that they've been waiting for, where it seems as if they've been waiting forever to open gifts. And so some of you kids are going to have probably a hard time sitting still tonight because you're restless knowing that when the pastor guy gets done talking, you get to go home and either open presents tonight or open gifts tomorrow morning, finally. And I suppose as we get older, it's not really the gift opening that we wait for so much, but sometimes as adults, one of the things that we wait for with eager anticipation can be the gift giving. And ladies, I feel like, you know, we're friends, right? And I, I was just going to say that I think sometimes um, you guys don't always help us out a lot with that whole gift giving thing. Um, for instance, fellas, has it ever happened where you asked your wife, your girlfriend, your fiance, um, what would you like for Christmas? And they've said, oh, I don't need anything, or, oh, I, I don't want anything for Christmas. And because we're smart, right, fellas, we, we might come back and say something like, just to make sure, um, are you sure you don't want anything for Christmas? Or, you know, or are you sure? And, and she often will say, oh, I don't need anything for Christmas. Now, I've been married for about 13 years or so, so not as long as a lot of you. But if I could, I'd like to just clue you in on something that I think a lot of guys have learned. If your wife or girlfriend says that to you, don't listen to her, okay? Just don't take the chance to, to listen to that. But instead, you do not want to be caught on Christmas morning having, or Christmas Eve having absolutely nothing to give to your wife or your girlfriend. And so sometimes, even as adults, Guys, we're left to wait and hope and wait and hope that that which we did try to get her will be something that she likes. And so even as adults, we wait for various reasons. Now, the reason I bring this all up tonight is because the dynamic of waiting and hoping for Christmas to, to finally get here wasn't something that started when husbands started giving gifts to their wives. This was something that had been going on for centuries. This whole dynamic of waiting for Christmas to get here is something that had gone on for thousands of years. The very first mention of Christmas, the very first mention of a Savior who had come to this world, some of you know this, but it was all the way back in the Garden of Eden approximately 6,000 years before Jesus was born, as God promised someone who would come to crush the devil and take care of sin. Guess what people did for 6,000 years? 6,000 years waited and hoped and waited. We knew Christmas would come on December 25th, right? They had no idea. They waited and hoped. 
Not only that, there was this point in history where the waiting became even tougher. The way God spoke to his people a lot of times in the Old Testament, um, a lot of times it was through prophets, people like Isaiah. I read from him at the very beginning of our service. And God would give these prophets a message to share with the people, and oftentimes that message from God were little clues, little hints about Christmas, and in a way just kind of letting God's people know that Christmas was still coming. Well, there was a prophet named Malachi, and he was around about 400 years before Jesus, 400 B.C., and he had a message to share, a prophecy about Christmas. And guess what happened after Malachi shared his prophecy? Nothing. Nothing happened. For 400 years, nothing happened. No prophets. No more promises. No Christmas. No directions. 400 years from 400 B.C. till Jesus' birth where it seemed like God wasn't there. Where it seemed to people who couldn't, just like us, see God with their very own eyes, where it seemed to them that God was absent because he was silent. In fact, in that 400-year time frame, people became so discouraged with the waiting and not being able to see that a lot of people, some people, began to turn away. Will Christmas ever get here? That promise of God ever happen? Is God even with us anymore? In that period of silence, people began to doubt God's faithfulness, his love. Some turned away altogether. Now, here's why this is so applicable to us tonight as we consider what God did for us on Christmas. Have you ever had a period of life where you've wondered, where's God? Have you ever had a period of, of life where it seemed like God was a little more silent than you'd like him to be. We've all had seasons of, those, of life like that, haven't we? Difficult times. I mean, one unifying event that has caused, I think, an entire nation to consider where's God was what, was what happened about two weeks ago. It was mentioned on Sunday, too, in Newtown, Connecticut, right? Where's God in all of this? And, and for some of us, um, maybe there's things that are even closer to home. Um, a family member who's really, really struggling with a, a very, a very difficult illness. Maybe it's the exhaustion of fighting depression, and it just doesn't seem to be getting better, and you've prayed and prayed, and you've wondered, God, where are you? Maybe it's, it's marital difficulties that... Um, just seem to be lingering. Uh, kids, maybe it's a tough time at school, whether because of friend relationships or because of grades. We've all had these periods of life, just like in that 400-year time period where it seems like God 
seems to be inactive. At the very least, he seems to be silent. Well, if you can relate to any of that, you've come to the right place tonight. Because we're turning right now to a section of God's word that a man named Paul wrote. It's basically in a few verses, his Christmas account. In four verses, it's his account of Christmas. A man, Paul, who lived about 20 years, or wrote this, I should say, about 20 years after Jesus died and rose again. And the very first words he shares in this section about Christmas tells us all we need to know about God's faithfulness. Listen to how he starts. Verse 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Let me, let me read that again. When the time, that is the appointed time, that is the time that God had had marked out from the first fall and the first promise when the time that God had planned and, and allotted, when that time had fully come, God sent his son. You know, the way Paul writes, it kind of makes it sound like God had it figured out this way all along, doesn't it? The way Paul writes, it, it's almost as if God wasn't inactive at all during those 400 years. It almost sounds, Paul, as Paul writes, like God was perfectly in control the entire time. The time that there were prophets sharing messages about Christmas, the time that there wasn't. That through 6,000 years, and even those last 400 years, God was faithful to his promises. On his time frame, and according to his plan. You know, it's interesting, when you look back on history, I, I want to show you God's faithfulness. And I don't, I don't admit or I don't assume that we can read God's mind, but it's at least interesting to note. When you look back on those 400 years, not in the Bible, because there's nothing written about it, but just secular history books, you'll find something. Two amazing things happened during those 400 years where supposedly people thought God wasn't doing anything. During those 400 years... It so happened that an empire called the Roman Empire came into power. And right at the time that Jesus came to earth, that the time had fully come, two amazing things happened in the Roman Empire. One, you maybe heard about it from history class. It's called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. An unprecedented time of peace across the civilized world of that day. And the second thing, the Romans had built a road system unlike any that had ever been built so that people and messages could be spread much, much easier than ever before. And for 400 years, people might have thought because they couldn't hear God, that he was inactive. But you know what he was doing? It's, it's like a play, and the curtain comes down, and you can't see what's going on behind the curtain, but you know what's happening. They're moving the set. They're arranging things. They're making sure that everything is in place. 
that when the curtain goes up, everything's ready. And on that night, about 2,000 years ago, as the curtain goes up, the time had fully come. Everything was exactly ready for the Savior of the world to come. And in part, because of that peace and because of that road system, the message of the Savior, who would eventually die and rise again, spread further and faster. The message of Christianity went further and faster than it ever would have 400 years or any time before that. My friends, the first thing we learn tonight is that even when God is silent, don't ever once think he's inactive. Even when you are in your seasons of silence, don't ever doubt God's faithfulness. He is always up to something for your spiritual good and your eternal good. So, why would God be so faithful? I mean, 6,000 years. That's a big plan. I mean, I'm trying to put together plans for next week when I have a few days off, and that's not going too well. A 6,000-year plan. Why would God be so faithful? Let's continue. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. Here's what Paul is saying. Jesus, God's son, came to this earth, and he became like us. Skin and bones, yes. But the same laws that we live under, Jesus, God's son, chose to live under them too. And here's the reason, because we're not good with laws. In, in about two to three, well, it's less than that, in about a week, a whole bunch of people, millions of people, will put laws together for themselves. They're called New Year's resolutions, right? How long do they last? We don't even keep the laws that we make for ourselves, do we? And we have a world of people, including me, who can't and doesn't keep God's law perfectly. And so there's a debt that needed to be paid. And so God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem us, to pay off that debt. But there's one other thing that I really want to point out here tonight for you about God. You know, sometimes you have a wayward child, and you're, you're kind of forced to, to pay off a debt of some sort, and, and you know, there's love behind it, but yet you do it begrudgingly. Uh, that can happen. Mixed emotions. Canceling someone's debt doesn't always, always have to come from a loving heart. Sometimes it's done out of obligation. Listen to how this section ends. He sent his son to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts 
the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. The idea in these words is that of an adoption, that God adopts us. And you know, when people adopt others in our culture, it's often little kids, babies. And they're so cute and cuddly, who wouldn't want to adopt a little child, right? But in this time, in this culture, adopting children really wasn't the custom at all. There was other means for children without parents to survive and sometimes die. The adoption here that was most common in this time and in this era, and the, the kind of adoption that Paul is referring to, is that of an adult. You see, people, let's say, who were wealthy, who had lots of money, they would, if they saw that their children weren't maybe the right people to give all of their inheritance to, they would, in their will, list people that they were going to adopt. And then, as their sons, they would give them the inheritance, or at least part of it. God looks at us, and as Paul writes, he sees us not as cute, cuddly children, but he sees us as people who have broken his law, as people with messed up lives and embarrassing thoughts. And the joy of Christmas is that God sent his son so that through his birth, yes, but through his life, death, and resurrection, he might adopt you. That you might become a part of his family. He wants you to be his family. Yes, he cancels your debt, but he wants more than that for you tonight. He wants a relationship with you. In fact, the word Paul uses is that we, that God invites us actually to call him Abba. Now, sometimes words don't have good equivalents in other languages. For instance, the word taco is not really an English word. It's, it's really a Spanish word, but we just didn't have any word in English to describe a taco. So now, you know, you go to Mexico and you hear taco and you're like, you know, I know some Spanish. I'm, pretty, I'm bilingual. When Paul was writing, he wrote in Greek, but the language of the people was Aramaic. And the word that Paul wanted to use was Abba, Aramaic, but there was no Greek equivalent. So he writes Abba, which is the Aramaic word, and then he follows it up with the Greek word, which best translated is father. But Paul wrote that because father isn't really Abba. Abba is the same word that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Abba, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But if not, I'll drink it. If not, I'll do what I have come for. Abba is an intimate relationship. Abba, best translated in English, is daddy. We get to a certain age and we're almost embarrassed sometimes to say daddy anymore, right? That's a kid word. It's a 
trusting word. It's a relational word. And at Christmas, according to the allotted time, God sent his son. An angel, Gabriel, appeared to Mary at the exact time that God had wanted. Mary gave birth in a town called Bethlehem as she was forced to travel there because of a census at just the right time. She gave birth in a stable just as God had planned. Why was God so faithful? Because he wants you as his own. Warts and sins and all. Tonight is a night where we're reminded that through Jesus, we are invited to call all powerful God Dad. And to know that through Jesus, that relationship will last into eternity through faith. On December 26th, I know one thing you'll see if you venture out to the store. Extra employees in the customer service department. Extra long lines, tape telling you where to go. Carts filled with gifts that people waited for. But they were wrong. They weren't what they were wanting. That doesn't have to be us, my friends. Not when it comes to that which really matters. Because after the world waited for 6,000 years, and tonight as we celebrate that night, God gave us exactly what we needed. A Savior. One of the privileges...